How many of you appreciate Matt and Heather and the legacy and the future of this church? Well, we have uh, so many great people here and missionaries and pastors, and I'm just uh, glad to be a part of it. Uh, many of you came to me last night and today and said, thank you so much. I've got a friend, a family member, somebody in my church that's almost given up because they didn't get the answer they wanted. How many of you know God will answer our prayers? And uh, we're going to do uh, phase two of when the mountain doesn't move. We talked about last night, sometimes we pray, we fast, we open one eye, the obstacle's still there. But the first time the church is mentioned in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 16. Now as far as the name church. When Jesus describes the church, he said the church should be an invasive, gate-taking church. So if we're going to light up the world, we have got to get through the gates of hell, for they will not prevail against us. We have to get past the obstacles, past the barriers, and every one of us knows that sometimes they are there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us and caring for us. And Lord, open up our hearts and our mind, our understanding, because we know you love us and we want to go forward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, and many years ago, let me just back up. My dad never was much on vacations. Anybody have a dad like that? So if we ever took one, it lasted about three or four days. It was a day to get there, two days for dad to think we ought to be home working, doing something, and a day to get back. So he took us to New Mexico one year on the other side of Red River, a little community called Cuesta. And we were there in a cabin by the river. We did some trout fishing in the back. And my brother and I, we were young. He was probably about uh, 10. I was maybe 13. And, you know, northern New Mexico, there's mountains. Uh, they're not just really huge. Some of them are huge. So we decided we're going to climb this mountain. And I was in a different shape back then. And so we decided, my brother and I, we're going to climb the mountain. So for about three hours, we attempted to climb this mountain. After three hours of sucking air, we decided we're going to go back to the cabin. How many of you know sometimes they look like they're easy, but they're not as easy as what they look like? Simon Sinek, many of you know who he is. He's a best-selling author. And he gave a comment to his generation. He said, my generation sees the summit, but they don't see the mountain. It's easy to see the summit, but the mountain has to be conquered to get to the summit. Can I hear an amen? The word mountain appears in your Bible over 300 times. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly about mountains. Let me give you some of the good. Noah's Ark rested on top of a mountain. Moses went up to the mountain uh, to receive the commandments of God. Elijah built an altar on the top of a mountain. Jesus was transfigured on top of a mountain. He prayed on top of a mountain. He was received up into glory on top of a mountain. But the flip side of this is that there are mountains that Israel and Moses wandered around for way too long. Zerubbabel, when he was attempting to build the uh, second temple, the scripture says it was a mountain of a job for him to do that. Satan tempted Jesus on top of an uh, exceedingly high mountain. And there are times in our life that those mountains, those obstacles get in our way. 
and you have family members and you have people in your mission, in your church, in your uh, field of endeavor that comes to a place where it doesn't seem like it's going to work or there it didn't pass, and we don't want them to give up. We don't want them to go backwards. And I want to guarantee you, God wants his mission, his light, his church, his people to always go forward. How many of you believe that? Now, I, I'm a believer of that, but I also I'm realistic that sometimes it doesn't go away easy. Sometimes we have to fight the good fight of faith and we have to storm the gates of hell and we have to speak to mountains because everyone personally and corporately is going to deal with something like this in their life. Uh, not too long ago, I guess it's been maybe almost a year, I was back in the children's check-in area of our church and there's a couple, they're a young couple, they hadn't been married just really long, maybe two or three years. And I could tell they were a little bit distressed and down. And I said, Kenny, sir, what's wrong? And they said, we've been trying to have a baby. And uh, we hadn't been able to have a baby. And it seems like the doctors think that we may not can have a baby. Well, how many of you know, sometimes you just don't accept the first answer. So I gathered them up and I said, come here. And I just hugged them. And I said, we're going to pray about this. So we prayed, and I prayed that God would allow them to have a child. And then I said, Sarah, I want you to go around the corner. I want you to drink water out of this drinking fountain. And she looked at me. Well, that was my pool of Siloam, okay? So sometimes you have to ask somebody to do something, and sometimes it seems silly. And I said, I want you to go around the corner, and I want you to drink out of this water fountain. So she, she obeyed. She did it. And then a few months later, they came to me with this big smile on their face, and Sarah said, I'm pregnant. So last Sunday, when I was leaving out of the parking lot, I, I saw Kenny and uh, that had the baby just uh, maybe two weeks ago. So they hadn't been at church, they hadn't got the baby out. But I saw Kenny in the back of the parking lot, and I rolled the, the window down, and I said, Hey, Dad, how you doing? And this huge smile came on his face, and he said, Pastor, we're doing just fine. But there was this obstacle. There was this word that we're not going to be able to do this. But let me tell you something. God has the last word. So we don't have the last word, the enemy doesn't have the last word, other people don't have the last word, but God has the last word. If you have your Bible tonight, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 41, and we're going to continue what we talked about, when the mountain doesn't move. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, the Lord is speaking, he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, verse 9, I love verse 9 because this is the intro into verse 10. He said, I took you, I called you, I've chosen you. Can you say that with me? I took you, I called you, I've chosen you. Now, let's all participate. A lot of gusto. Here we go. I took you, I called you, I've chosen you. Guess what? All of us here, we have been taken and chosen and called by Almighty God. So, therefore... The next verse says, fear not, I'm with you. There are five promises there. I am your God, I will strengthen you, I'll help you, I will uphold you. And sometimes when you and I face the gates of hell, we face our giants, we face our mountains, we have to kind of rewind that he has chosen us, he took us, he commissioned us, he sent us, and I am with you. I'm your God, I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll hold you up, and I have to continue not to give up because I know that God's with me. How many of you know God's with you? And whatever we face, 
We face it with the power of the authority of God because I believe his word. Now, I know there's some things bigger than me, but they're not bigger than the God I serve. They may be bigger than you, but they're not bigger than the God you serve. Last night we, we mentioned this passage out of uh, Corinthians when Paul said to the Lord, this thorn in the flesh, how many of you have heard about a dozen, <laughs> a dozen things what that thorn in the flesh was? Can I tell you what it was? I don't know. It's a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> but whatever it was, Paul said, take it away, take it away, take it away. He said he pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord said, absolutely, I'll do that. And the Lord said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to exalt my grace above your problem, above your need, and my strength is going to be greater than your weakness. So Paul's mountain, if that was his mountain, was not removed, but God did something over that mountain to take care of Paul's issue. Sometimes our dilemma is this. Listen, I've prayed about this. I've fasted about this. I'm concerned about this. I haven't seen it work out like I want to. But this is what we know from Scripture. Sometimes we see spiritual concepts through natural eyes. You say, well, okay, what does that mean? The seed and the sower. There is the leaven or the yeast and the bread. There is the hidden treasure in the field. There's the pearl of great price. There's the shepherd leaving the 99. What's all that about? He's given us natural illustrations to show us spiritual principles and spiritual concepts. So if I can understand that, it gives me an insight and a key to the spirituality of how God works in my life and how God works in your life. How many of you understand what I just said? Now, when the mountain doesn't move, I just want to give you a couple of things tonight. In the next two hours, I'll get these done. Number one, when the mountain doesn't move, sometimes we're called to climb it. When the mountain doesn't move, sometimes you and I are called to climb it. God called Moses up to the mountain to give him the Ten Commandments. He called Elijah up to the mountain to break that yoke of false prophecy and the drought. Even though God's going to do his part, we have to ascend the mountain to get there in that divine agreement and that divine touch to do what God wants to do in our life. You see, Peter and John had to climb the mountain of transfiguration to be in the presence of Jesus when he was transfigured. Now, Peter, James, and John was there. How, how would you like to hear the conversation at the bottom of the mountain? You ever wanted to hear the conversation? Peter, James, and John, that's all I hear. What's the rest of us? We chop liver here? I think he's playing favorites. Well, hello. God has a plan. So they had to climb the mountain with Jesus to be there to see the transfiguration, to experience that. I did some research, and I want to share this with you. Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world on land. Now, they say there's one around the Hawaiian Islands that if you went from the base of the ocean, it's, it's taller. But 29,035 feet is Mount Everest. So what would it take to climb Mount Everest? The average climb time is two months. I was shocked when I read this. Two months. So th this is the process. The best time, they say, to climb it is to get there about April. So you get there around April the 1st. So from April the 2nd to April the 10th, you ascend up to your base camp. 
Now, the base camp, with your gear, everything you have, taken up to the base camp, is at 17,500 feet. That's where you start. Now, understand, at 17,500 feet, this is 3,000 feet higher than any mountain on the continental United States. So you're starting 3,000 feet above the highest mountain in the continental United States. That's where you start. Now, there are, there, there's 21% oxygen at sea level. And the higher you go, the less oxygen that you have. So April, uh, you know, 2nd to 10th, you go up, you, you, you establish your base camp. April the 11th through the 13th, you're setting it up. April the 14th to May 29th, you begin your climb. Now, here, here it is. You're climbing from 17,500 feet. Then you go to 19,500 feet. There is only 10 to 9% uh, oxygen now there. And now you set your camp. The next climb, you go to another camp at 21,000 feet. There's only 9% of oxygen there. The third camp you set up is at 23,500 feet. There's only about 8.5% oxygen there. And in every one of these camps, you have to stay there for a period of time. Now, why do you have to stay there? You have to acclimatize yourself to the altitude and the atmosphere. Because if you don't, you will die. Have a good day. So if you get to this level... You have to stop for a while, get acclimatized for the next climb. I thought what uh, we heard yesterday about understanding who we are and not getting into a syndrome that we don't know who we are and we get this false expectation of who we are. I wonder if God takes us to a level and he says, I want you to stay there for a while. You need to get acclimatized to who you are. Then he takes us to another level and he says, I want you to get acclimatized to who you are, where you're at, your position, and how I'm going to use you. Then he takes us to another level. How many of you know it doesn't look like this? Has anyone ever had a ministry that looked like this? I want you to touch me after the service. Because I've never seen a ministry that looks like this. It kind of looks like this. And hopefully it's gaining and it's getting bigger, but it's never a straight up shot. So here you are, you're going this height and then this height. You have to stay there for a while. You're in your camp. Your body's getting used to the climate, to the atmosphere. And then you begin to go to the summit. The summit's at 29,035 feet. And there's only 6 to 7% oxygen at that level. There are some people who've done that without oxygen, but most people never, ever try. So what, what is the, the deal here? If we can get a spiritual concept or precept from a natural illustration, I think it helps us to understand maybe how God works in our life. You see, sometimes when the mountain doesn't move, I think God is saying, okay, here's the mountain You've got to climb it. Here's the problem. I'm not going to take it away, but I want you to tackle this thing, and you can overcome the mountain. And as we tackle it and we overcome it, there's some things that happen to us. First of all, we get stronger. We build ourselves up. The mountain can either stop you or it can mature you. The mountain can either strengthen you or it can make you weaker. It takes discipline. It takes planning. 
And about 300 people have died trying to climb Mount Everest. 200 of their bodies are still on the mountain. They're covered in the snow and the ice. And most of them said, like a captain with a ship, if I go down, just leave me there. Well, why do they leave them there? Hey, it's hard enough to get you down, plus Bubba over there that's a frozen stiff. Literally. So there's 200 people on the mountain that are still there today because they died on the mountain. They didn't continue the trek. Sir Edmund Hillary was the first man we know that conquered Mount Everest. He did that on May 29th. 1953. Now, the reason I know May 29th, 1953, he reached the summit is because May 29th, 1953 is my birthday. So two great things happened on that day. So Sir Edmund Henry got there, and this is what he said. It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. It's not the mountain we conquer, but it's ourself. When you go up against that mountain, that gate, that obstacle, that difficulty, I want to guarantee you something. Something happens to you, and something happens to me. We're tackling these things, and let me just give you some observations tonight. The climb matures us, and the climb strengthens us. Here's another one. The climb is always faster and safer with a guide. Let me read you an article. This is from CNN, that wonderful trusted news source. This is dated January the 2nd, 2018. The Nepal government has banned foreign individuals from climbing all mountains in the country without an escort. They're saying if you're going to climb any mountain in our country, you have to have a Sherpa. Why? Too many people were dying. Two is better than one. Anybody read that in the Bible? Two is better than one. Sometimes we take up so much of our responsibilities, our leadership, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to overcome, when sometimes we, un we have to understand two is better than one. We have to approach this with a mentality, this is not all about me. There's other people to help carry the load. Weren't you appreciative of these elders up here? And, you know, I, I go all over the United States and sometimes foreign countries to teach and preach. And sometimes people say, well, well, how's your church set up? And I said, we have elders and deacons. They said, why? I said, it's just so biblical. Why would you do that? Just biblical. You know, Paul said, uh, wherever church we've established, ordain elders there. And, and so how many of you know we, we need to do the same thing? And, and so two is better than one. So they actually outlawed mountain climbing by yourself because they had too many fatalities. Here's the next observation. To climb the summit, when you climb it, it will give you a different perspective. If you reach the summit, you're going to have an entirely different perspective. From the bottom, you can only see one side. From the bottom, you have a limited view, you have a limited vista. But when you and I climb to the top of the mountain... How many of you know our view and our vision and our vista completely changes? When you're at the top of the mountain, you see things differently than you saw them at the base of the mountain. Can I hear an amen? amen. So sometimes when we go through this, 
when we storm the gates of hell, when we overcome that giant and that obstacle, now we see things differently than we saw them before we had that endeavor. So if we tackle the mountain and we say, okay, I'm going to climb the mountain, it gives me a whole different perspective and not you when I've never had that before. Here's the second thing. If the mountain is not removed, number one, you may have to climb it. Number two, you may have to tunnel through it. You said, Pastor, that's ridiculous. People do it all the time. Would you and I have to do that in our spiritual walk? Would we have to go through the mountain? Well, let me give you some, uh, let me give you some references here. God took Noah through the flood. He did not spare him from the flood, but he took Noah what? Through the flood. Israel went through the Red Sea. He led them through the wilderness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, you know, he took him through the valley of the shadow of death. Isaiah chapter 43, here's a verse you're very familiar with. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. In every one of those uh, lines in that passage, he says, I'm going to take you through. Now, he didn't say, I'm going to remove it. What did he say? I'm going to take you through it. I'm not going to remove it, but I'm going to take you through it. So let's look at some examples here. Three young men. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And when they wouldn't bow to the image, you know the story, furnaces heated seven times hotter. They, they take the, the three Hebrew young men, they're going to throw them in the furnace. The people who are going to throw them in die because of the heat. That's how intense the heat is. Now listen, I wouldn't want to be thrown in if it was heated one time, but seven times hotter, okay. Uh, I, I remember when I talk about this story, we, we live out on a farm and a ranch, and, and uh, sometimes we, we clear land and have brush piles. Anybody know what a brush pile is? And some of them are huge. And so we burn them when the conditions are right. When my boy Aaron was uh, smaller, we were going out to burn a brush pile in, in, in tremendous heat. I mean, it's, it's a, a huge fire. So Aaron's standing by me. We're watching this brush pile, uh, a pile burn. And... My kids have only known me as a pastor, so when they were born, I was pastoring. And so they, they've heard me preach hundreds of sermons. So Aaron's standing, he's about this, this tall, and we're watching this fire. And, and I hear him say, Daddy, he said, is heaven real? I said, yes, sir. He said, is hell real? I said, yes, sir. wonder why he was thinking about hell. <laughs> because he could feel the heat off that brush pile, because sometimes natural things implant spiritual concepts in us. Jesus did it all the time telling parables. So if we get to our obstacle, our mountain, our giant, instead of going around, circumventing, going back, God always wants us what? To go forward, then we may have to climb it, or if we can't climb it, we may have to tunnel through it, because God has always... And we'll always have people go through stuff. So here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're thrown in the fiery furnace, and here's the wonderful thing. When the king looked into the furnace, he said, didn't we throw three in? But there's another one in there 
with them, and he looks like the Son of God. Whatever you go through, guess who goes through it with you? God always goes through our difficulties with us. Because, let's go back to Isaiah, I am your God and I will never forsake you. I'm going to go through this with you. And sometimes we say, God, take it away. Do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were praying before the furnace? Duh. Do you think maybe they were praying, God, spare us from the furnace? Take the furnace away. They were holding hands singing kumbaya. Take it away. And guess what? God didn't take it away. But he did allow them to go through it, and he went through it with them, and the Bible says they came out of it. You can't come out of it until you've been in it, and they were in it, came out of it, and this is the wonderful thing. Not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. Not a hair on their body was singed. The only thing that was burned was the bonds that held them. Why? Because that's what God does. He comes alongside of us and goes through stuff with us because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let me end with this. Remember where we started, Matthew 21? Jesus, triumphal entry, next day, he's hungry, he goes by the fig tree. Fig tree's big, beautiful, no fruit. He curses the tree. Next day, they come back by and the disciples marvel. And let me just give you um, the line that Jesus gave to them. Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith, do not doubt. You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. He cursed the tree, and it seems like nothing happened. He cursed the tree, but it seems like nothing happened. But a period of time has passed, and the next time they go by that tree, they marvel. And they say, look, the fig tree is dried up, it's dying, and it's withering from the roots up. Your attention, please. Something was happening out of the realm of their sight that they could not perceive, but it was still happening. Sometimes you and I, we look, we see, we hear, we perceive, and it looks like nothing's happening. But there's something happening in a realm that I cannot see. There's something happening in a realm that you cannot see. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus spoke the word, and when he spoke the word, immediately the process began. But it was in a realm they could not see. Sometimes there are things going on in a realm I cannot see. And that's where faith comes in. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the things that we cannot see with our natural eye. But something's happening. So tonight, even though we can't see it, something's happening in our lives. The same about the gates they are trying to keep you out of where God's sending you to spread the light. To, to keep you from your answer, your miracle, whatever God's doing. 
And even though I can't see it, even though you can't see it, how many of you are going to be with me? We're going to trust God that something is happening even though I cannot see it with my natural eyes. And I'm going to believe that when Jesus said, if you speak to that mountain, it will be removed. Not on my terms, not on my timetable, but I believe what Jesus said. And I think you do too. So tonight, I want faith to rise in your heart. And tonight, if you say, Pastor Mike, I don't see anything happening. Something's going on. I can't see it, you can't see it, but I'll guarantee you, something is going on. Would you bow your head with me tonight? We did this last night. I want to do it again tonight because uh, I, I think whatever we bring to the Lord, whether it's over and over again, is a good thing. And maybe you weren't here last night, but if there is a mountain in your life, a giant in your life, a gate trying to keep you out of something, trying to stop your progress, if that's you tonight, I, I want to ask you to be so bold and courageous to lift your hand with mine, even if you lifted it last night. I'm going to lift mine up again. Pastor Mike, there's some issues in my life, my church, my mission, my endeavors. There's a gate that's shut. There's a mountain there. There's a giant there. And I, by the authority of God, am going to attack that thing. I'm going to be an invasive gate charging, a gate-breaking force in the kingdom of God. If that's you, just raise your hand up really high. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you stand with me? They're going to begin to play. And if you raise your hand, I want you to very quickly come up here. We're going to pray, and we're going to speak to our gates, speak to our mountains, speak to our giants, because God wants to shine his light in places that it hasn't shined in a long, long time. Can I hear an amen? Come on, gather with me. We're going to pray. Prayer changes things. And it changes us. Amen. And it gets us equipped to storm the gates of hell. Yes, hallelujah. 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 Father, we thank you tonight for your amazing grace. We thank you for exalting your grace above our needs. For lifting your strength above our weakness. And Lord, when we cannot see what's happening in the natural... We know something is happening in the supernatural because we believe in the supernatural. We believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the miracle-working hand of God. And Lord, we're here, your children, that has been called and chosen, the ones who have been put in the place where you have given them promises. I'll be with you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I will never not be with you and I'll send you to do what I have commissioned you to do would you lift your hands with me and lift your voice with me pray ever how you want to pray pray in the spirit uh, pray with, uh, ever how you pray Lord we lift you up higher than the mountains higher than the gates higher than the giants in our life because you are our God. And Lord, we're storming the gates. We're climbing the mountains. We're going through the mountains. We're speaking to the mountains. Be thou removed. 
and let your light shine. Let your light shine. God, shine it through us. Shine it through us, oh God. God, let every obstacle, every gate, every mountain be brought down. Brought down. Brought down under your authority. Oh God, grant it. Grant it. Grant it, Lord. Let there be a breakthrough tonight. Let someone have peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Lord, let it come to our lives. I'm going to turn this back to Matt. If you're praying, just continue to pray. But this is what I know. When you get to the top of the mountain, a city that's set on a hill, <laughs> when the light's on the hill, when the light's at the top of the mountain, I'm going to guarantee you, you can see it a whole lot better than from the bottom. Let's climb it. Let's go through it. Let's speak to it because God's on our side. Amen. Amen. Matt, God bless you.